0: Recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, everybody, and good morning to those who are watching. Excuse me, watching online. It's not COVID, I promise. Uh, for those who are visiting, yes, my name is Andrew. Parramatta Christian Church has been my home for around about 30 years. A former pastor used to say I was in nappies. That's not quite true, but it, it wasn't too far off. My, my beautiful parents got saved when I was three. Um, met my beautiful wife here as well. I'm one of you, just so you know. Uh, we are journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're visiting or if you're watching for the first time. And this morning we're in chapter 4. So if you have your Bible with you, we'll turn to chapter 4. We're not going to read the whole thing, it is massive, um, but we'll we'll go through the passage as we go. As I was thinking about this morning's message, my mind went to a guy by the name of Steve Jobs. Many of you guys will know who this guy is, especially if you're an Apple file. This guy started Apple, he was kicked out of Apple, and then they begged him to come back when they nearly went bankrupt in the late 90s, and uh, a lot of what they have done, they owe to this man. What some people may not be aware of was was the guy was a visionary as a, as a business leader. But from all reports, he was a bit of a tyrant in the workplace and a tyrant in his home. There's a story that goes, his eldest daughter, who he denied even being her dad for a very long time. But eventually, when she was about seven or eight, he went to visit her. And he scratched his car somehow. I don't know how, how it happened. And she goes, Dad, you're probably going to get a new car. Do you mind if I get your old one? You know, kids ask innocent questions like that. And he stormed at her. He's like, absolutely not. There's no way you're getting anything of mine. And he sort of drove off after that. I'm not saying that to put the boot into Steve Jobs. But this is something that we're going to look at this morning, Ecclesiastes, that can affect us all. There is a dark side to power. There is an evil side to control, an evil side to certainty. This passage is going to talk to us a lot about certainty and power and controlling our lives and just the futility of attempting to do that and the darkness that's involved there. So we're just going to read a few verses this morning. As I said, not the whole thing. If we look from verse 1, and it will be on the screen as well. The teacher writes, Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. And they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born. Who has not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Church, let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Lord, this book that is such a challenge, Lord, but there is so much for us to gain. If only we will grapple with it, Lord. And Lord, I pray this morning we would wrestle with the text, Lord. Lord, this is a challenging word. It speaks, Lord, I think it must have spoken to the culture. It certainly speaks to our culture, Lord. I pray that you would give us an open heaven this morning. We thank you that you are here. And Lord, we pray that as we dive in, Lord, would you give us open hearts this morning. Guard my mouth, Lord, I want to speak your word. I desire to say nothing else but what you have to say to your people today. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've entitled my message this morning, The Dark Side of Power. The Dark Side of Power. Borrowing from my favorite movie villain, of course, you don't know the power of the dark side. If he was around, if Vader was around, he would tell us that. There is absolutely a darkness to power. There is a darkness to having this control in our lives. Before I dive in there, verse 2 says something that just leapt out at me. I declare that the dead who have died are better, are happier than the living who are still alive. I sit there and I read and I think, okay, teacher, did you fall out of bed the wrong side this morning? Did you not have your wheat bix Did you not have your coffee? Like, what's going on? That is such a depressing way to start. But if we examine what he's saying, we start to get the picture. Because he says the reason for this is they've not seen the evils done under the sun. That sounds dramatic, I know. But you think about the world around us. I don't know what it was 2,000 years ago, but I know what it is today. We have scandals in governments all over the world. I mean, we talked about Myanmar just then. You look at Eastern Europe, South America. Hey, we've got scandals in the Australian government right now, the abuse of women. We've got scandals in the church all over the world. We have scarcity, we have famine, we have war. And by the way, scarcity and famine are not always because of a lack of crops. It's often because the haves are keeping from the have-nots, right? Every world war has come about for things like this. And so you you look at it and you think, okay, I I get it, Kohelet. I get where you're going. This is a pretty nasty place. Things get pretty evil real quickly. So what is he saying? What is this oppression? Oppression is the abuse of power. If there's anything he wants to start off with, is to tell us that there is a thing as a power imbalance. There is a thing that some have, some have not, and power has this tendency to corrupt us. Power has this tendency to, we lord it over those who don't have it. Oppression is profit regardless of how the profit is earned. There's no regard as to how that's done. I mean, if you don't believe me, look at the banking system, look at the way that all these things work all around the world the way governments do things. When people have power, to use a modern term, there's a tendency to flex. There's a tendency to show it off. There's a tendency to use it to suppress. Jumping into Ecclesiastes 5, we read, and we'll see that next week, this is not a surprise. This is what happens. Riches, wealth, power, they corrupt us. And they cause us to lord it over those around us. What's also shocking... Well, maybe it's not shocking if we really know our God, He doesn't take oppression lightly. God has no place for oppression in the in our hearts. Just a couple of cursory scriptures there. There are thousands I could have thrown up. Deuteronomy tells us not to take advantage of the hired worker. Proverbs tells us that when we oppress the poor, we're showing contempt for our Maker. And Zechariah, this has shown up in many places. Don't oppress the widow, don't oppress the orphan. Don't oppress the foreigner or the poor. God detests the use of your power. There's, it's not power itself that's the problem, it's the abuse of that power. What, what, what kind of power are we talking about, by the way? Because power can look very different from person to person. I think for many of us, money and wealth, monetary wealth, that's a power because we can change what we do, we can change our lives. For some of us, it's success, it's having a career. For some of us, it's a relationship. If I could just get in that relationship with that special someone. It might be fame. It might be Instagram likes. Who knows? There's something different that will make us all tick. But they all, in some way or another, give us a sense of control over our lives. We feel like life is out of control. There's something over us. There's something oppressing us. Whatever that might be. And if we could just get that power, we could just get our hand on it. Isn't that what the world screams at us every day? You have the power to change your destiny. You sit in a Tony Robbins seminar, that's what he'll tell you. It's in your hands. You have the ability to control your life. It's really, when it boils down to it, it's a glorification of individualism. That's what we're talking about this morning. And as we're going to see, there is a dark, dark side to this power. All interpersonal sin... Any sin that has happened between people comes from power imbalance, when you think about it. Any sort of bullying, any sort of taking advantage of people, any sort of financial abuse, anything like this, it comes because someone's in a position of strength and someone's in a position of weakness. Every single one. And so, therefore, for us, when we're on the receiving end of that, what's the the thing our heart cries out to do? We want to get that power. We want to wrestle that back. We want to move up the ladder so we're no longer the bottom of the totem pole. We're at least halfway up or something. For some of us, it's all the way up we want to be. And so the human tendency is for us to toil. And the teacher continues and he says that there's the toiling that we go through. There's an effort that we put in to get out of this mess. But the problem is that when we pursue this power, It's one thing to be oppressed, but he says the next thing is that the pursuit of this power will leave us dissatisfied. It will leave us dissatisfied in pursuing the power to change our lives. Now you might think, but I've been told all my life if I get rich I can control where I'm going. If I get famous, you know, if I'm the number one, people will know who I am. But as we're going to see, this will leave us wanting more. This will leave us dissatisfied. Verse 4 Chapter 4, verse 4 is kind of like one of the first real revelations in the whole book. We've been talking all this time about problems. We talk about power and wealth and pleasure and all these things. But when we get to verse 4, we see a real key. We see that it is jealousy. It is envy that drives this push for power. Verse 4 says, I saw all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. Now, He's not necessarily saying envy is negative. I think there's a godly jealousy too. I look at people around me, some of you guys, and I think, I want what you've got. So he's not saying that's a bad thing. But in general, and in the context that we're talking, this is bad. This is a problem. You see, there's a reason they call envy the green-eyed monster. It leads you to do irrational things. It leads you to leave all sense of reason... It's what feeds the drive to be competitive. I mean, you think about it on the sporting field. When you're last and you see the team coming first, you're jealous. You're envious. You want to change to be better. can be a good thing, but it very quickly gets corrupted. I don't know if there's any Waylon Jennings fans in the room this morning. Probably not. Somebody like, who is that? Um, he was a country singer, and he had this amazing song uh, called Back to the Basics of Love. And I'll just read you a line. The situation is he and his wife are not getting along and they come to the conclusion it's this city life, it's this uh, corporate life that's bugging them so much and he says, we've been so busy keeping up with the Jones, four car garage but we're still building on. Maybe it's time we went back to the basics of love. Just a simple song but there was a recognition that this effort, this push, this continue to drive to get control is fruitless. He just needed to read Ecclesiastes, really. It's meaningless. It's vapor. This shifting of the balance of power is a failed solution. It's born out of envy. It's born out of jealousy. But ultimately, it's, it's a failure. We mistakenly assume that the way that we alleviate our situation, the way we get out of oppression is to work our way out of it. Shift that power imbalance. We can have more power over our lives. Wouldn't we all want that? Don't we all want that deep down? But there's just a couple of problems with that, which are identified here. The first is, climbing the ladder to catch the one in front usually means you have to step on the head of the guy behind you. We're all on this thing. It's all relative. Relative. Now, I'm not saying advancement is bad necessarily, but when that becomes your thing, just are we holding stuff or is stuff holding us? What's it going to be this morning, church? Are we using the things that God has given us for good or are we pursuing that with everything we've got and forgetting there's a giver behind that, forgetting there's a relationship with him, there's a relationship with others, which we'll come to. What is it? Where are we? It's always relative. We want to be the best. We want to be the first. Look at any, this might change with COVID, but look at every Boxing Day sale that you can remember. Look at every launch of a smartphone or some product. There's a queue out the door, round the block. People are camping out. Why? Because I want to be number one. I want to be the first to have got it. But why? So what if you're the second? So what if you're the third? It doesn't matter. It's not a competition. At least I didn't think it was. You see, verses thirteen to sixteen. I'll just touch on this briefly. They talk about the situation of pursuing that that popularity and that fame. It's transient. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But see, we still have this innate desire to clamber on top of the guy behind us. We want to get ahead. We want to be noticed. We want to be the best. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs. He didn't want to be number two. No sports person wants to be number two. We want to be number one. We want to be first. And that means trampling on those behind. But secondly, and the big lie our culture has told us, see, power is the one thing that we crave, this power to change our world, but it's the one thing we can never get enough of. There is a lust built into the control of our lives that we you, you get this much, you need to have more. You get one property, you've got to have two. You get this famous, you've got to get that famous. You're number three influencer, you've got to be number two or number one. It's never enough. Verse 8 tells us that there was a man who was all alone in trying to get this power in his life, in toiling to improve his situation. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with all his wealth. There's just something built in with this church. No matter what we've got, no matter what power we're chasing, no matter how much we have, it just doesn't satisfy It simply doesn't. We have to have more. But you notice also that this guy is alone. Not only he's toiling, not only he's working his butt off, he is alone. He's isolated. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. The tragic thing is the pursuit of power, this dark side to power, is that it tends to isolate us. It tends to leave us doing this all by ourselves. I mean, you think about it. You climb a mountain, it's pretty thin air up there. You're not going to get many people go with you. When you reach the pinnacle, when you're set on that, you're going to do it alone, most likely. Some of you might know this next guy. His name's Tom Brady, in case you don't follow the American football. Uh, He recently changed teams, and in the first year, they've won the Super Bowl with this new team. The guy's a freak. He is amazing. But there is an ugly side to Tom Brady as well. I've heard it said that he doesn't let his kids win board games. You know, as a parent, you try and go a bit easy on your kids. None of that in the Brady household. When he was with New England, I am told that there was a charity match against a bunch of local firefighters. And and they were losing. And he called the huddle and said, guys, we are not losing to this bunch of firemen. It's a charity game, dude. It didn't mean anything, but for some reason, he just couldn't give that up. And a lot of his teammates, who they love him on the field, but they're like, Tom, you're crazy. I read a story just yesterday. Uh, Many of you know Michael Jordan, the basketballer. He was on holidays with the actor, Anthony Anderson. They played a game of dominoes. You know what dominoes are. And Anthony Anderson beat him. They were on a holiday somewhere in the Caribbean. Apparently, um, Jordan didn't speak to him for the rest of the trip over a game of dominoes this lust for power isolates this lust for power leaves us it's it's me against the world it's individual there's no way around that do you know this goes back to genesis you think about it genesis 1 genesis 3 what happened adam and eve ate from the fruit that god said you can have anything you want guys just don't touch that one tree what do they do they pull from that tree and they are isolated from God. But it gets worse. Chapter four, Cain kills Abel and he's isolated from the tribe completely. And we see this slow descent through Genesis. We see it all through the Bible. As we walk further and further away, as we pursue our life's goal, it's idolatry ultimately. Let's, let's call it what it is. It's idolatry. And as we walk further and further down that path, it's a lonelier and lonelier path. Isn't that weird? Because so many people are doing it. So many people are doing it, but it's lonely. Stop and think about that. You know, the one regret that I read over and over again when people are dying is not that they didn't earn more. It's not that they didn't push harder to get that 10th property. It's not that they didn't get so many likes on Facebook. It's that they didn't spend time with the ones they loved. They didn't do things that were ultimately meaningful. They chased after the meaningless. Now, before I, I jump out from here, I just want to clarify something. Verse 5 tells us that it's not okay to do nothing either. Verse 5 does say that fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. The teacher isn't telling us not to work. The teacher isn't telling us not to plan. But what he's saying is, let's work to live, not live to work. Let's do what we need to do and and make the plans, but hold them loosely. Hold them loosely, loosely. And so you might look at that and say, Andrew, this is so depressing. This is awful. Because we I think if we stop and think about it, we're all prey to this. We all have this desire. I mean, how how is your heart going this morning? Are there things in your life you're desperately trying to take control over? Your finance, your relationships, your family. They're all good gifts, but when they're put in the place of God, they're idolatry. What are we chasing? And so then we come to our solution, thankfully. The teacher doesn't leave it there. He tells us that it is not in individualism, but in community that we find the solution. When we chase power, we are on our own. But the minute that we come into community, we start to find the antidote to the power grab. We start to find that there is a better way. Notice in verse 9 and 10, Two are better than one, they have a good return for their labor. There's two things going on here. There's two illustrations that the teacher gives us. And ultimately they want to paint he wants to paint the picture that instead of envying our neighbor, we have the opportunity to love our neighbor. We have the opportunity to do what's right, to do life together. The first illustration is it's like a business. There's a partnership in working together, or maybe it's voluntary, and there's a sharing of the labor. And there's a sharing of a greater reward. That's the first thing, working together. And then the second illustration in verse 11, it seems to suggest they're traveling. They're traveling together. And if two are traveling together, they can lie down and keep warm. Now, you might say that sounds strange, but in the cold nights of Israel, the cold nights of the Middle East, out in the desert, and if you've got nowhere to go, you probably don't have much of a choice except to huddle with the person you're traveling with. That's just what you had to do. But we notice that together, working together, we get warmth, we get security, we get defense. If two lie down, how will they keep warm? But they can one how does one keep warm? If two lie down, they can. How one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. There's sharing of the profit, there's companionship, there's encouragement. In these verses here, the teacher is trying to get us to see that our neighbor is not a commodity. A neighbor is a community. We are here to work together, not to see others as just rungs on the corporate ladder, not to see that I can just overcome this and that and that. No. When we stop being individual about it, when we start seeing the power of community, we see where neighbors can help neighbors. If there's one truth I think that this chapter is trying to communicate to us, it's this that we cannot, we cannot prize power and love our neighbor in the same breath. If we're going to chase power, if we're going to chase this control of our lives, we have seen it's going to cut us off from other people. It's going to isolate us. The only way we're going to be able to love our neighbor is when we see power in its true light. It's transience because God has the power to control our lives, not us. I think Hillary touched on this last week. The rich young man or the rich man that Jesus talks about in Luke where he will build barns and store his wealth. And he says, you fool. Tonight your life will be taken and who will have it then? He wasn't in control. God was in control the whole time. We make the mistake in thinking it's up to us. It's not up to you. Uh, have you been given things to Stuart? Absolutely absolutely but it's not up to us to determine our course God sets our course and and just just to sort of hammer that home a little bit more we've talked about the world and the the Australian dream or the American dream or whatever country you want to put in front of that but we can fall into individualism in the church just as easily it sounds like this I'm a Christian I'm on my way to heaven that's it If I think that's all that my Christianity matters, I've missed the point. Because God didn't call on me just to be caring about myself and blow the rest of the world. No, there's a world outside. It's Mission Sunday. We've been talking about it. There's a world that needs Jesus. There's a community of believers that just needs encouragement. We're not here to do this on our own. So you might say, fellowship with others. Yeah, okay, I get that, Andrew. But that's tough. That's hard. Do you know how much I've been hurt before? Maybe, maybe I do. We've all been there. People bruised. That's just the way it is. But if it was up to, if it was just fellowship alone, I think we'd have a problem. But thankfully, there's something else that's hinted at here in verse 12. God has not just given us the community of believers. He has modelled relationship himself. He has shown us relationship. Now, verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves You've heard this a thousand times. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What a great verse for weddings. What a great verse for marriage. You've probably heard that at, at a wedding at some point. And devoid of context, it absolutely is. But there's more to it than that. It's not just speaking about that. Where's the first place that we see a threefold cord? What do you think? The first place we see a relationship of three. Isn't it Father, Son, Holy Spirit? The Trinity is like this dance. God is doing this dance. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're in perfect union. They're in perfect harmony. Whatever adjective you want to use. They're moving together. They're modeling for us relationship. They have given us the example in, in the person of God. But it gets better. Because not only God knows how to love when he's being loved back. God knows how to love when he's not getting anything back at all. And if you want proof of that, he came in sacrifice 2,000 years ago. He didn't hold back just because love didn't come the other way. We can love sacrificially because there's a God who went before us. Because there's one who took the beatings and took the scorn for you and for me. He loved his neighbour to the point of sacrifice. We can love sacrificially because we've been shown and because we've been loved and because we've been given that to us. And he says, you go and do the same. So just a couple of thoughts as we draw this to an end. We sang it before. um, I wrote this down. My heart has been in your sights long before my first breath. Running into your arms, running away from individualism, running away from trying to control my life is running, from, running to life from death. Running away from what the world is screaming at us each and every day is the path to life. Are we hungering for stuff? Are we hungering for this control? Or are we hungering for God this morning, Church? Are we hungering for community? Are we hungering for all the good gifts God has given? Just a couple of points I wanted to throw at you as we as we finish. And I want you to—I want to put this out there. This is not an X Y Z formula. This is not a do this and you will be free forever from the pursuit of power. It's a human disease. We're going to be dealing this while ever we're on planet Earth. But these are some principles which I think could be quite helpful based on what we've talked about. See, the gospel makes relationships possible, first and foremost. We need to recognize the community matters. We need to recognize that it is about being together. And the gospel, through the example of God, through God, Jesus coming and dying for us, it makes all of this possible, to love, etc. Secondly, God has modeled the relationship that we need to display. God has modeled that in the Trinity. God has modeled that in loving the unlovable. And then after that, only after that, I think it's possible to do the rest. Be intentional about community. Be intentional. Don't just turn up to church. You can come by all means. We want to see you, but it's more than that. Be intentional. Catch up with people. Be in connect group. Call people up who haven't been around for a while. Whatever it is, there's there's a thousand ways you could do that, but have an intent about it. Don't just drift along and think it'll happen because it won't. We need to be intentional about that pray for those around us the more we pray the less we gossip the more we pray the less we see people as the enemy the more that we pray and the more we pray for others the less we, we look at ourselves I don't know about you but the more I pray for the people around me the more I pray for the world around me it's, my problems suddenly start to get smaller and then finally pray for freedom from the pursuit of power we're going to be dealing with this church and that's okay but we need to leave we need to leave this at the cross God didn't intend for us to carry that burden. So as we as we draw this to an end church, where are you this morning? Where are you today church? Are you wrestling with that power? Are you wrestling with that desire to control your life today? If you are, you're in good company. We all do to varying degrees. But I want to ask you, leave it at the foot of the cross this morning. Are you dealing with uh, some sort of oppression and you think, if I can just get on the other side of that? Church, the bad news is it's not going to satisfy you. But the good news is that God has a better way. Through loving Him, through community, through being less about individualism and more about the communal, more about being together. He's given us a way out. Maybe you're wondering this morning why you're even in church. You're just doing the thing. I don't want to say to you, you're welcome here. But there's more for you. There's more that God wants you to, to impart and to be imparted with by being in the lifeblood of community. Let's just pray. loves you and loves each other and loves the lost. Lord, we thank you for this teaching this morning. It's a hard teaching. It's a difficult one to get our heads around. But Lord, there is much hope. There is much hope if we will put our trust in you, not in things, Lord. There is much hope if we will look to be together, Lord, and not just do for any heart this morning Lord that is feeling that loneliness Lord they don't have to carry that anymore they don't have to carry that burden any longer Lord we can lay it at your feet Lord God Lord what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer Lord that pain that we bear is needless Lord God you have said Lord you don't have to carry that anymore you can take my yoke which is easy You can take my burden, which is light. Lord, I pray that you would set your people free, Lord, from the bondage to power, Lord, the dark side of power, Lord. We've had enough of it, Lord. We yield our lives to you again this morning, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that we would, Lord, look on this word and this whole series, Lord God, and maybe as a turning point in our lives, Lord God, that we wouldn't be chasing the meaningless anymore. We wouldn't be chasing the smoke of life anymore. Lord, we have to work, we have to plan, and that's not a bad thing. But Lord, we are here to serve you. They are vehicles for, for Lord, ultimately loving you and loving your people. And so God, I pray that we would put you first again today, Lord God. You deserve it for all that you have done for us. We give you all of the glory and all the praise in the precious name of Jesus.